Hello, hello. Welcome back, Leading Women in Tech. We are here for another guest interview. I am super excited to talk with Marsha Sharma today. We're going to be diving into so many things, uh, primarily around DEI, because that is Marsha's passion point, and she'll be explaining why. But just before we dive in, a little bit of housekeeping. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? We are at the end of July. I can't believe that. That means my summer holiday is just around the corner, which is exciting. So I want to give you a little heads up. In September, we are going to be opening doors once again. In fact, doors are probably going to open in mid-August, but the course will run from mid-September. Uh, we are going to be running the next round of Ignite Coach Academy. So if you want to learn how to be a coach, if you want to do this in either to improve your coaching as a leader, or you want to do this in order to become a coach, possibly even work for me one day, I do hire coaches, then go check out the page on the Ignite Coach Academy. Just go to my website, go to the top of the page, and you can see options to train to become a coach. And just read about it. And if you want to have a chat about it, reach out. I'll hop on a call with you. One of my team will hop on a call with you. And we can talk through what it means to become a trained coach. Just really consider it. It's such a great way to become a great leader. But without further ado, let's get back to today's interview with Marsha Sharma. Marsha is today's guest and sponsor. And as I would say, without people like Marsha supporting the show, this would not be possible. We would not be able to provide this for free, this great learning. So many of my clients say to me that they listen to the show in addition to all the training I provide and all my programs, all the coaching I do. This is like an amplification of that. That's how good this content is. It's in addition to what they they pay to access. So this is good stuff and it's only possible because of people like Marsha. So thank you, Marsha. But let's get her on the show. Marsha is Head of Integrations and Infrastructure at Avenue One, which is a leading prop tech company based in New York City. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I had to Google that. It is something to do with real estate. I did not know that. So prop tech, new area of tech I did not know about. I guess it's property tech, right? Didn't get that when I Googled. Uh, Marsha has worked as a senior executive. She's also been an entrepreneur. We dig into that a little bit about how her experience as an entrepreneur, in particular with venture capitalists. We do discuss that one today. And she's been in the industry for over 20 years as a co-founder in fintech and martech, so many different things. She's previously held top roles at SiriusXM Satellite Radio, the DoD, and much, much more. But she also cares deeply about DEI, which is why we've got her on the show today. And I really think her insight today is so interesting because she talks about how her lowlights become opportunities how firefighting has been the root of her advancement. Like so many of the women I talk to who are really successful, it's almost the adversity is the piece that gives us our success. Here's the interesting little tidbit I am now seeing. For a long time, I thought, well, yeah, great for those women, including me, where our adversity has been our success. But I wish it wasn't like that for everyone because then we'd have more people succeeding. Here's what I now see. There's nothing like a bit of old age <laughs> to show you this. I'm now seeing that it's the successful men, it's the same thing. It's just that they have a different lens on it. They don't view it as adversity. It's just different kind of blockers to them. For us, the adversity is so huge because there is so much adversity as a woman. There's so many blockers against us. There's so much more to overcome. And so I think actually it's about embracing this adversity and realizing while we've got it, until we level the playing field, maybe this is our opportunity to level the playing field. Again, maybe just my complete optimism, and I'm sure some of the listeners will disagree, which I totally respect, by the way. I am such an optimist. I just really hope we can find a way to level the playing field for all women in tech. So maybe that's my one today. 
Without further ado, though, let's get Marsha onto the show. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Tony Collis, and this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. Welcome to the show, Marsha. It's great to have you here talking about diversity in the workplace. Thank you for having me, Tony. I'm really excited to share my um, knowledge and experience with your audience. Well, let's start with my favorite question that I ask everybody, which is share a little bit about the work you do and your journey to this point, including the lowlights and highlights and why you're passionate about DEI. Excellent question. So I've been in the technology um, industries, various industries since the early 2000s. Started out as a software engineer, moved up the ranks to project product manager, director of um, engineering, till eventually, actually due to a low light that I'm about to speak uh, about, I ended up um, starting my own company. And the, the low light was really around not having the mentorship structure that I desired. I was looking for a female in tech to be my mentor. And I looked around and realized that I was the most senior female in tech at that company. Mm. So that, in addition to other frustrations with, with that structure, actually caused me to seek an opportunity and start my own company. Out of the highlights, I would say that me starting my own startup actually brought me here to Avenue One, uh, where I'm now supporting and coaching our product engineering teams. This is definitely a highlight for me because it hit that box on uh, people, culture, diversity and inclusion, really big part of that, big vision and innovative technology. I find it so interesting that your view is that that low light of not having any women ahead of you, no female mentor opportunities, was actually what I would call an opportunity. I see this so many times. I certainly applies to me too. Like the thing that I thought was a roadblock turned into an opportunity because it forced me to look outside my comfort zone, and it forced me to take action that I wouldn't otherwise have taken. And from the sounds of it, you're yet another example of another woman I've met in tech who, this is exactly her story. And I almost feel like half our battle as women in the tech space, possibly outside the tech space too, but this is where we, this is where I know, <laughs> is saying, hey, so life is throwing me lemons. Let's see what else is out there. Let's see if I can find some oranges. Just because I'm getting lemons thrown at me does not mean I have to accept it rather than going, oh my God, life is throwing me lemons what do I do now? Would you agree? Do you think this is actually quite a common thing? Um, I think it really is. And and this is something that when I'm coaching women, I try to uh, coach them on this path as well to see any roadblock or any issues, actually an opportunity for a change, opportunity for improvement, opportunity for growth. And, and I, I see that actually helping and changing lives, uh, kind of shifting that perspective from, oh, this is a lemon and life is bad to, oh, this is an opportunity and there is a kind of a blank slate out there and I can create the journey that I want to be on. 
Yeah, I love that so much. Um, Actually, I also find it interesting that you're saying you're coaching as well, like as a leader. I, everybody who listens to this podcast knows this, but I love it when people say, when I coach. And I'm like, yes, because coaching is part of our job as leaders. Just wanted to throw that in there. I love the way you speak. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about your career a bit more. I love that you're both an entrepreneur, an engineer, and an executive. Uh, I just kick ass all the way, in my opinion. So what do you think have been some of the biggest lessons that you've had to learn on this journey? We've experienced all these things. Oh, great question. So as an engineer, it was always about solving problems, right? There is a business problem or a technical problem, and I would have to put on my firefighting hat on and come in and, and solve that issue. And that was really important kind of lesson to see this um, there is a challenge, there is a problem, the opportunity is fixing it, right? And that's kind of a common thread, I think, in my life. As an entrepreneur, my biggest lessons were in resiliency. It only looks, you know, when we are seeing the media and the news coverage about entrepreneurship, we mostly see all the good stuff. Uh, we see the successes, we don't see the failures, we don't see the depression, we don't see the all the, the low points in entrepreneurs' life, which happen to be on a daily basis for a lot of people. So to be resilient and have that growth mindset, and again, seeing a problem, an opportunity, something negative as growth, it's super important. And um, uh, the last thing is, as being an employee, again, kind of the growth here is I've been able to take all the things that I've learned on my path and put this together. When I say coaching, um, actually, that's my role. This is the company that I'm with right now, Avenue One. We don't have titles. And our career mm -hmm. projection, we are all aspiring to be either um, a maven or a coach if you are there to support and lead the people. I find that utterly fascinating that you don't have titles. What? Why do you think that is? Like, Who made that decision and what is the culture they're trying to encapsulate by doing that? I've never heard of that before. I find it utterly fascinating. So our wonderful founders uh, of uh, the company, they've kind of ingrained this in us from day one is sort of an aversion to titles. And I kind of agree to that. I, I thought back to my career and I, the last title, official corporate title I had was in 2014. And I would introduce myself and say, hi, I'm Masha Sharma, I'm director of engineering, but I also do DevOps <laughs> and this and that, right? So my title was really limiting and it didn't actually reflect the, the functions that I performed at the company. So that's kind of one aspect of that. And this is really baked into our culture of servant leadership. And we'll look at um, our structure is mostly inverse. You could think of it as inverse. Uh, our CTO, Bill Martinier, used an analogy. He goes, do you want, you have children. Do you want more children to support? And that really um, kind of sat with me in thinking, you know, I, I really am supporting. I am really serving the people 
that I work with. And I am here kind of taking this perspective of coaching to help them navigate and help them uh, improve their performance, be it on the job or even outside and motivate and kind of teach them the things that I know. And I often go on the research to find things out that are specific and tailored to them. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's usually a beautiful segue to the main topic of today's conversation, which is around diversity. Because I think part of what you're describing is a way to actually improve diversity. I mean, maybe listeners don't understand that, but let, let's have this conversation. Let's talk about building diversity in the workplace. Why in your mind is that important? Maybe we're stating the obvious, but sometimes we need to state the obvious around here. Why is diversity at work important? <laughs> so I, I want to go back to sort of past career, past experiences, I often found myself as the only female in the room. Being, you know, an engineer, it was mostly, you know, not a diverse group at all. And as a result of that, the solutions that the group's coming up with are also not going to be that different or innovative. If you have a homogenous group of people uh, ideating and making decisions, they are limited to the experiences that they have, which happen to be oftentimes shared experiences, right? By bringing in a, a diverse group of people and not just diverse in, you know, race or gender, but really in those experiences that actually yeah. happen to come with diverse cultures, you're broadening array of possibilities for solutions, for ideas, for innovation. And I was actually thinking about this last night if you think about artificial intelligence, a hot topic, right? For your algorithms, for your predictions to be better, you need a lot of training data. And mm-hmm. yes, there is a there is a bias in AI. We know that that's something we're working on. However, that aspect of having variety of data helps with the better outcome. Well, this is mimicked by us, by our human nature, by our you know, brain composition, we're also unique. We're also different. We've all gone through different challenges, came out with an opportunity, came out with lessons, different experiences. And when you put all of this together, the more variety, the better the outcome. And that's super important to me. And these are the lessons that I have learned by opening myself up to diversity just on a personal level in my day-to-day life. And I am super thrilled that this has been a focal point of the environment that's been created here at Avenue One when I work today. Mm. I actually think it's a really interesting point to bring in AI because, yeah, for those of us who've worked a lot in diversity, which I have, I'm very passionate about it, it's why I do what I do, you know, there's the standard stuff around um, diversity improves innovation because of that diversity experience and thought. And then separately, there's this diversity issue in AI, which is lack of diverse data means that we have biased AI. But actually, I really like the something that you didn't quite say, but I think maybe you're getting at, maybe I'm consciously getting at, I don't know, which is one of the things that society is missing out on by not having diversity in the workforce is that we're not then generating data for like, you know, executives. If all executives are white male, that means all the output that AI learns from is white male, becomes self-reinforcing. Actually, to get better AI for the benefit of the human race so we can like 
do less ourselves. We can step back from day-to-day operations, which I think is a good thing. I don't think we should be threatened by that. That's, oh, that's a separate conversation for another day about AI. <laughs> we actually need to have diversity more than ever because now we're training something else. That's right. And I think it's it's important that we make that explicit link. We now have a duty beyond just our business. We have a duty to the human race to get this mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel you're absolutely right. And and that this is it's interesting how again sort of this digital and physical worlds have to um come together and align. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, let's talk about building this diversity of thought. Um, why do you think we all get this wrong? <laughs> Well, I think um, we're trying. I think the the, the right uh, direction here is to say that we are on the path. We know that we're not perfect, right? We eventually will get this right, but we will have to keep evolving that. Why we haven't gotten it right to this point, there are a lot of probably explanations in history that we're trying to overcome now. The important thing is what do we do today? And how do we continue? And I think a lot of companies are setting up the programs for diversity and inclusion, and that's wonderful, but action is what actually makes the difference, right? I am uh, uh, happy to say that one of the programs we have here is called Superwomen, right? That's a real action. It's uh, uh, a program for women of Avenue One where we are coaching, we're mentoring, we're conversing. It's a safe space. We're all learning together. We're all on this journey together. And um, I've seen a real big difference in just the engagement, right? Knowing that your voice matters, knowing that your opinion is counted on, knowing that you're being listened to is really important. And I'm seeing people thrive. I think you hit something really, really important that is often forgotten when we're creating these programs, which is the experience of the individuals who will go through them. Because quite often, there are two types of people that create these programs. There are the people who are our allies who've never experienced what these individuals that they're targeting will experience. They know that they're doing this for really good reasons, but they don't necessarily have that experience. And then there's people like you and me. And it's very easy to forget how how painful it was and therefore actually how the most important thing is changing the way we feel so that we are showing up to work as our whole selves we are showing up to work feeling engaged rather than put upon feeling like we're listened to rather than shut down and also our experiences you and I have different experiences to people coming Mm -hmm. along 10 years behind us I used to get so frustrated when I had people who were 30 years older than me telling me how to run a DEI program. I'm like, I get that that was your experience. It's not mine. And it won't be the experience of the women coming behind me either because it's evolving, which is good because I like to think, fingers crossing here, like to think it's progress. That's why we're moving forward. But that means that we need to always focus on the people and their experience going through that program. Do you see this as something that companies get right? Do you think that's changed maybe since we went through these programs? I sure hope that it's changed at other companies. It's hard for me to gauge, you know, not sort of not being there. I've been very strategic Mm -hmm. and thinking 
um, the people that I work with and, and the companies that I work with, I do see the change based on sort of the, the commentary from mm. women in tech groups and different um, female entrepreneurship groups. So there's definitely change. Sometimes it's a really slow change and, and we need more women of your mindset, you know, uh, uh, that understand the importance of this, lived it and mm. are open to listening to those coming after us, listening to their ideas, embracing and just trying. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Right. We'll fail. Oh, right? But then <laughs> yes. we learn. So it's actually an amazing journey of this, this, this failure, mm. opportunity, growth. And we have to keep remembering that and just we are on a journey. Mm-hmm. It is not the destination that matters. It is the journey to get us there. I just, I run a call out there that that growth mindset you've just demonstrated, like, you know, we're on a journey here, asking the question, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Failure is growth. Uh, I, I've spent so much time, and I'm sure you do as well, coaching women in growth, how to develop that growth mindset rather than being fearful of failure. And I love the fact that you're bringing this into the DEI world. You're saying the same thing applies. Yes, maybe it's not engineering we're talking about. It's DEI work in engineering. But we need that same growth mindset to solve this problem. And I think I certainly would say for me 10 years ago when I set out on this path of doing DEI work in my day job, initially like 10 years ago, it was just like a a little side thing and it became more and more of what I did. Obviously today I have a whole business that has a mission around DEI. And I would say 10 years ago, it was so hard to see that I needed a growth mindset in this. I was developing it in my technical capabilities as a software engineer, but in the DEI space, I felt like I had to get it perfect because there was so much judgment on what we were doing. Do you see that being true today? Is there still a lot of judgment around DEI programs and their success or not? I've not experienced that personally. It is a topic I read about, but you just sparked um, a thought, sort of past present. I started in the 2000s. The world was completely different back then. Mm-hmm. Somehow I was, you know, the, the reason I'm here in tech is, I think, unusual one. I did not have a computer science degree. I thought I was going to be in the arts, liberal arts. And then I saw my mother who is a poet. She was a housewife. She took on PLSQL classes and really got into it, really loved it, had passion, worked at IBM, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And I thought, oh my goodness, if my mother, who was not friends with computer at all, can do this, so can I. So having an example of women that have made it right in these careers, be it on the business side, technology side, executive suite, right? Having these examples around us in social media and personal conversations is so important. The work you're doing with this podcast is completely so important. It gives an example to women. It shows them a path. And then in Mm. my coaching, I talk to women that say, I want to, you know, when I saw you speak here or I read something you've said, I thought I want to be like her. I want to get there. So that that example, right? So kind of back in history, we didn't have as many. Now we have more. There will be even more. Like 10 years from now, I would like to see, you know, our workforce, our numbers double. And I think it's possible. Yeah. 
I love hearing somebody so optimistic because I feel like sometimes I'm the only optimist in the room. I think it's possible too. Uh, we just got to keep at it. But tell me a little bit about Avenue One. You've hinted at it being an unusual company. So why is it unusual? Why do you think it is different? You mentioned the founders, but it's not. Ju- it's never just a founder. It's more than that. So tell us a little bit how it's different and why it's different in your mind. Well, it's different in so many ways. It's, uh, you know, kind of a dream. So first, um, Avenue One is in the, you know, not a, a usual phase that would attract a lot of female talent. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Uh, we are a property technology service platform. It's a, it's a marketplace for institutional owners, buyers, sellers of residential homes. So traditionally, male-dominated industries, multiple industries kind of coming together in, in, in this platform that we've built. However, because of the growth mindset and the big vision of the founders, they have been able to attract like-minded people, not just males, women as well. I am the testament to that as, as many others. And uh, we take culture very seriously and we cultivate culture. In fact, even our performance reviews have Something about culture there where we talk to um, everyone that works here about the culture and kind of remind what it means to be an Avenue One employee and um, how can everyone propagate the same culture. Kind of like a wave, right? Uh, yeah. That was started and it keeps on going and it gets stronger and stronger. So I think that's a, um, a different factor. The super women program I spoke about, I've not seen anything like that on that scale with so much emphasis. It's really made a huge difference, even for me personally. In the wintertime, we had a sip and paint event where we're sitting down and, and painting. There was an artist that came in. It was a both a virtual and um, in-person we were having some champagne and painting, and I realized I felt such relief and calmness and peace from that activity that I, I remember it as a child, I loved to paint. And then this became my tool in my toolbox to help me recharge, to help recharge mm-hmm. my brain. I started painting with my son. I started bringing my uh, six uh, grandnephews that come over for sleepovers. And now they ask, can we paint? And I have canvases and little aprons for them and, you know, brushes. And we sit there and we paint superheroes or butterflies or flowers. And um, for me, Avenue One's been a place that connected a lot of my passions together. Uh, Passion for helping people in this form of coaching. Passion for technology and innovation. It fills my, my vessel, my box on relaxation, calmness, health is really important. We often talk about mental health. We do meditations together for people that want to. Um, There are a lot of different programs that our uh, People Ops team is presenting to us and we participate in. Our off-sites are so much fun. I pinch myself. Is this really the place I work at? Or, (laughs) you know, is this a dream? Um, But it really feels like that to me. And I know it does the same to a lot of other people. I think one of the things you've really highlighted there is the diversity of experiences that your company provides you with rather than the standard set of tech company offsites or get togethers or happy hour and beer and all that kind of stuff. 
there's just a different mix because, you know, not all women want the same thing either. And I think what you've just described is embracing difference. I remember I worked for a company where they wanted to celebrate landing um, some PE funding with getting everybody to go white water rafting. And that fell, filled me with horror. I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. That is not my idea of fun. And you're making me take the weekend to do it. I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> and so it's just recognizing that, you know, we're all different people and we've got to find things that work for everyone. And that's how you create an inclusive environment because everybody will belong to something. And then there's this overlap. I, I think it's really beautiful. Yeah, we meet people where they are. Yes, meet people where they are is lovely. I want to change direction before we wrap up because before we hit record, you and I had a fabulous conversation and you mentioned to me some of your experience as an entrepreneur. And I think there was a really interesting little tip that I'd like to share with the audience here. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience of being a founder? Um, in particular, <laughs> what happened when you met a co-founder at an event that didn't cater for young moms and, and whether that's a common phenomenon. Yeah, so this is 2016 is when I joined an incubator in Washington, D.C. And there were a lot of startups there in this incubator. And uh, I, I met this other female. We were both mothers, uh, again, for the second time. And we had infants. So... At that point in my life, and for hers as well, actually, uh, we were, you know, breastfeeding our children. So when we went into the office, it was the time when we also, in addition to work, we had to work on getting the food for our babies, right? Mm. Which meant that uh, we had to pump. And I asked, well, where can I go? And the answer was, well, you can use the bathroom. Use one of the stalls in there, which is not sanitary, not comfortable, mm -hmm. Right. And you know, you have to feel relaxed in order to be able to do that. So that was quite um, frustrating. And I raised all kinds of hell with the organizers. It took them a couple of months. They did end up creating a special room for that, but it was not there at the time. I do know that companies today, a lot of companies are catering to uh, mothers and uh, are providing uh, rooms, like privacy rooms for um, that purpose. I do feel like the the investor sector is maybe a little bit further behind. I mean, 2016 is not that long ago. Maybe I'm just showing my age. <laughs> it's really not that long ago. So it's kind of shocking to me that they didn't. Because you also had another story about what happened going to investor meetings with this female co-founder, which again, I'm hoping we've shifted. But yeah, share that story with us. Um, yes, it's, I still don't believe myself when I re recollect the story, but it is true. It's factual. Mm. Going to investor meetings, we had to, we learned to bring a male with us and we called him our honorary white male. And a lot of times, uh, when technical questions were being asked, I was not the one that the person asking the question was looking at. It would be that male, even though I would be the one with the answers. Uh, it's unbelievable, but that's a fact and that's there. Um, it's probably mm. there today. And that is another reason for why diversity and inclusion is super important by uh, kind of raising women up, lifting them up through the ranks. We're opening up more doors for them to go into the VC community and uh, help change the ratio of uh, companies that mm. are funded. 
I truly, truly hope that um, listeners, some of the listeners are either VCs or hoping to be VCs in the future. I know some of my clients, they have a dream of retiring early from their engineering roles um, to become VCs. And I'm like, let's change this, ladies. Let's do this. Let's change it. Because <laughs> I think one of the fastest ways for us to change it is to put women's bums on seats <laughs> in terms of that side of the table. That's true. It's exactly what we did. And I do, you know, one last point for me on diversity and inclusion that there's a reason why Avenue One is super successful right now. And I attribute that to that diverse, wide, wide variety mm. of thought. And in the short amount of time, two and a half years, we raised $100 million, which is wow. uh, a testament to the VC community's trust and our abilities to transform this market, right? And this uh, race happened in the most unfavorable economic uh, conditions that we have faced in a really long time. Yeah, just wow. Wow, we could talk about this all day, but let's get to the quick fire round. And she, before we do that, for listeners, if you're enjoying this conversation, please support us by liking this in your favorite podcast player, leaving us a review and if you're following us on youtube please like and subscribe that is the easiest way to support us and make sure we continue bringing you amazing free content but masha let's talk about quick fire round these are my favorite questions every week i get to ask these questions i oh, love it so what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given oh it's fit in so one of my managers Ooh. back in the day gave me that advice to fit in. It, it did not go well um, for me or that company. I did not last long. Fitting in meant don't speak up. It meant yeah. don't innovate. It meant listen more and kind of do as we say. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. It's kind of why I have a, a problem with lean in as well. I think lean in has some good intentions behind it, but the phrase, it's sort of, many people start making it about fitting in. Like you need to be like the men in the room. You need to lean into how they are. And I'm like, no, no. Part of what makes us extraordinary as women is that we are different. Like that is what we should be celebrating rather than conforming. So yeah, fitting. Well, let's mm -hmm. flip that on its side or on its head even. And what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Best piece. I would attribute that to my godfather when I was a child. He said, Marsha, do not be afraid of anything. And he had that really like Al Pacino kind of voice with authority. It just stuck in my mind. And I think that's the reason why I've been so resilient. And that's the reason why I have this mindset of learn from failure, grow, mm. and uh, turn all the negatives into opportunities. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Well, um, next question. What is the last book you read and would you recommend it? Ah, this is an interesting book. So it, it's a fiction, but based on true accords called Nothing is Dripping on Us. It's an old book written by Eva Witte. I have a personal connection to the book because it's written by my godmother's brother's wife about their marriage. And my um, godmother's, I'm uh, sorry, great-grandmother's great uh, brother, he was a baron, Baron Vita, that immigrated to the United States in the 1900s. So here's this nobleman wow. that comes to a new country, and he has to survive. And that's a story of resiliency where he started building boats. 
he would build furniture and he thrived. Mm. So I think I have this, this topic in my blood of resiliency. I didn't know it. It was a discovery made by my mom and it, it's absolutely wonderful to have that connection. Oh, wow. I love that. Well, we'll make sure a link to that is in the show notes for anybody listening. So thank you for that recommendation, Marsha. Uh, mindset. At the end of every episode, I love to give a mindset tip. So Marsha, what is your favorite mindset tip around leadership, around creating DEI? What What is your favorite mindset moment? Um, all positive and negative events are very transient. They come and go. What's constant is you, how you uh, react to it how you go through it sort of the only way out is through and that's the kind of mindset that i would like to uh you know transpose to everyone if possible i love that the only way out is through i was totally stealing that one (laughs) uh this has been a fabulous conversation so i'm sure we've got a few listeners at least who would like to find out more about what you do where can people connect with you follow you, stalk you a little bit, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter um, or LinkedIn, but two places to connect with me. Perfect. And uh, we will make sure we got links to you on LinkedIn and Twitter again in the show notes. So go check your show notes if you are like, oh, in fact, go hit pause right now, go follow her and then come back for the wrap up. You done that? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Any final thoughts you want to share with us today? Leave the audience with so they go away feeling as amazing as I know you want them to be because, hey, we're here to create a next generation of amazing leading women in tech, right? Embrace your unique you, your journey, all the ups, all the downs that shape you and view challenges and mistakes as opportunities for growth. It's often through that kind of adversity that we find strength and resiliency to go on. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for supporting today's episode. It's only possible to bring this show to our audience and keep it free because of people like you. So I really appreciate it. Listeners, as always, remember, until next time, stay on your tech leadership game. Follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.